My my grandfather, my, my dad's dad, died uh, 15 and a half years ago, and he he was he was Papaw, and and some of you here are Papaw, or Pawpaw, or something along those lines, and and he was that for me. Some of you grew up and you had a Papaw. He was the guy that uh, that for me was was sort of a, a larger than life almost mythical kind of figure. In fact, our son Duke is in part named Duke because my papa looked like John Wayne. And so the Duke sort of was was a tradition in our family. He loved those kind of movies. And he was a very interesting character. And I wish he were still here today so my children could get to know him. And I know you have people in your lives that, that you wish you you could still have around. He he was the kind of guy that was was extremely gentle to his family and loving, but had a very difficult and tough exterior. He was kind of a hard man on the outside, if you understand what I mean. And he was so funny, though, with certain things that he would do. And, and I'll never forget one particular story that my mother told about him. When, when he took her, he took my mother, uh, this is her father-in-law, took my mother to go and purchase a a truck for my dad as a surprise they were going this was back in the early 90s and they were going to purchase this truck as a surprise so my mother asked my father-in-law or her her father-in-law rather my papa to go along with her in order to to get the deal closed and so he always drove a little bit of a hard bargain and they get to the dealership and and i know we have different people here who have worked either in the past or currently at car dealerships. And, and you deal with a variety of customers, obviously. My papa was a variety of a customer. And so he walked in, and, and he was working on this little Chevy S10, and, and he, he, he was going back and forth with them on some things they were going to include and not include in this truck and options and so on. And, and papa was the kind of guy who didn't like to pay for anything. Now, he wanted everything and not have to pay for it, you know. Now, he was a hard worker, but but he thought that they, they owed him something for coming in there to buy this truck that day. And so my mother told the story that at the end of the deal, they're about to sign the papers, and Papa looks across the table at the salesman and says, Now, what are you going to give me for buying this truck? He expected something extra to be thrown in there. What are you going to give me for buying it? He was not going to leave until they threw in extra floor mats or something. And I don't know exactly what they wound up getting, but Papa said, what are you going to give me for buying this truck today? He was bound and determined he was going to get a reward, a return for his investment. Now, we're in a series, and we're wrapping it up today on giving. And the truth be told, there are many of us here who say, all right, that's fine, but what's in it for me? What am I going to get for giving today? What are you going to give me for buying this truck? For my investment, I'm fine with it, I'm willing to give. But what happens now? It's sort of the old, okay, I'll give and and now what? Now, I don't say that because we have hard-hearted people here. But let's be honest, isn't it true that we want to know if I do this, Okay, what can I expect to happen? And I think that's very legitimate. That's a human response. So understand, I'm not here to say if that's your your deal, then you're somehow wrong and awful and sinful and nasty. Please don't ever come back. That's not what I'm saying to you today. But I do think it's important that we, we look at this aspect of giving and say, what is it that God has said we can expect as a result of our giving? You know, that's biblical. 
God does say that there are certain things you can expect in return for generous giving. We're going to try to sort through some of the falsehoods and look at the truth today. Now, our series has covered a couple of chapters in 2 Corinthians. So, if you want to, go ahead and get there. We're going to be in chapter 9, wrapping up Paul's discussion here, his his, uh, encouragement, if you will, his pastoral motivation, uh, his... uh, kick in the seat of the pants, if you will, to the Corinthians. That's more like what it is. He's kind of getting on them a little bit to say, guys, you, you started to give a collection. You started to, to collect this money to give toward an offering that's going to help a lot of people in Jerusalem, these new Jewish Christians, and, and yet you've kind of stalled out. Hey, what's going on? Let's get back in the game. And that's what Paul has been writing about. And so he, he's, he's encapsulated the whole talk on this with the grace of God. He wants them to understand this is not some obligation. I'm not trying to get on you so that you'll give just to make me be quiet. That's not what he's talking about. And so uh, in this series, that's not been my goal is is to get on you and to, to say, well, you should and you ought and this and that. It's really to show what Paul said was giving is a privilege. It's an absolute privilege. It's actually the grace of God. It's a gift from God to be able to give toward His work. And so we, we've looked at that in the first sermon on, in this series. We, we talked about that, that it, it, it's, it, it's not an obligation. It's a privilege. It's, it's, it comes with certain things, with rewards. It, it's, really, it's, it's really a spiritual aspect. And that's what I hope to, under, to, to help us understand today. This is, this is not something that we give so we can just get certain things in response, material things, but it's certainly about much more than that. So his goal with them is to get them to complete this particular participation and so on. And some of you, I'll commend you, you've been here the whole series. Some, some people bailed out after the first week. They, they, they decided this series wasn't for them. And, uh, and so they'll be back next week. And just so you know, next week we're going to begin a, a series, a, a long series, uh, seven or eight weeks on relationships. It's going to be called Together. And the idea is to talk about the power and the value of godly relationships. And so maybe if, you, if you've got some relationships in your life and you say, boy, I need some help with this one, and maybe over the next few weeks that'll be the case. Or maybe you find yourself just very lonely, not sure where to start. That'll be the next series. But some of us are here and you've been here for all of them, and I commend you. You've done a great job. I want you to know, though, that, that this, is, this is not about, again, about pressure. It's not about trying to manipulate you, just about telling you the truth from God's Word. And see what he has to say. So God's word on giving uh, is uh, it's different from what we often think. Uh, and he does, in fact, promise us some things in return. Look at it with me in chapter 9, verse 8. Actually, let's begin uh, in verse 6 because it kind of catches us up just a little bit. All right. So here's what Paul says. Remember this, verse 6, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's where we left off last week. Now here's where we pick up. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. 
They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of, of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. And they will have deep affection for you in their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God loves a cheerful giver, verse 7 says. That's where we left off last week. And we sort of said, you know, we, we need to make sure we're giving with enthusiasm. We understand what God is wanting from us. And those who are enthusiastic about God's work about giving toward it, really do discover some things about God that those who give reluctantly, those who give out of, out of obligation, can never truly discover. So I want to give you this morning a secret that cheerful givers know, some of the implications, how that plays out, what happens when you give, and then sort of wrap up the series with one main point that I think we can take from what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. So you'll see that there on your outline if you want to follow along. One secret that's known by cheerful givers is this, that generous giving unlocks incredible spiritual growth. Generous giving unlocks incredible spiritual growth. Many of you know that. I hope it, that, that after today it's not really a secret anymore. I hope it's something that we begin to experience. There is something powerful that happens in your heart and in your life when you begin to give generously and sacrificially toward the things of God. It is a spiritual experience. You say, no, it's not. It's just about writing a check, and all I do is see the money go away. That, that is not cheerful giving. <laughs> when we begin to give cheerfully, enthusiastically, when we get in touch with the heart of God and we give toward the things that God is involved with, something incredible happens. It's as if the door of our heart is unlocked and the Holy Spirit begins to do things in and through us that He could not do before. It's amazing to see what happens when you give generously. A few things that Scripture tells us that sort of come with this idea of, of, of giving generously. You see what, what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6. You might want to write down the reference. From, from verse 19 to verse 35 in Matthew chapter 6, this part of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to take time to read it this morning. But he talks about our relationship with money. When you begin to give generously and sacrificially, there, there's something that happens in your relationship with your money. Do you realize that when you believe you own your money and your stuff, the inverse is actually true, that it owns you? That it controls you, that it dictates to you what you're going to do. And Jesus said, look, when you, when you begin to take your hands off of it, you begin to see that it's not yours, that in fact it's controlling you when you hold on to it, that you're serving it. Your money no longer owns you when you begin to give generously. Jesus would go on in, in that same passage from verses 24 to 35, and he, would, he, he told us that when you begin to see that God owns it all, you learn to trust God more. In fact, he said in those verses, some of you are familiar with it, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. That's all, that, that, think about that teaching. It's incredible. It's revolutionary. Don't, don't concern yourself with what you're going to eat or drink. Don't scurry around, he says, being all caught up in that, wearing yourself out, working yourself to death to get ahead or whatever you think might be ahead. He says, don't worry about all that. He says, in fact, that's what godless people chase. He says, don't chase those things, chase God. And he said in verse 33, and he'll take care of the rest. It meets your needs. He'll figure out ways to provide for you. 
So those things come from the teaching of Jesus. What Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 here is that not only do we do we get to, to be free from money's ownership of us. That's a great spiritual growth. Not only do we get to trust God and learn about Him even more, but we get to experience things in return for generous giving that we never could if we weren't doing it. So three things that happen. You'll see those there under this great secret. Three things that happen, Paul describes, when you give. The first is enrichment. And he uses this word, and so that's why I choose it. He uses the word enrichment. Now, when we first think of enrichment, we, we, I think in most cases, we look back to verse 6. And we say, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but the person who sows generously will reap generously. What do we think? Immediately, well, if I give a lot, I'm going to get a lot. And if I don't give much, then I'm not going to give, I'm not going to get much. We think of this as a transaction. As money-based, as material-based transaction. If I give a lot, if I give very sacrificially, I'm going to give all that I have. But I tell you what, it's going to be returned tenfold. We think of Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Boy, if I give, God's going to give something back. We've all been taught at some point or another that Maybe you've heard it, maybe you've listened to it on television, that the idea is that if you give to God, then it's a guarantee that some financial material return is coming your way. Just wait for it. Go check the mailbox every day because it's coming. If you give, God will repay you. He will be sure that you receive back more than you gave. He'll bless you with prosperity, with a better job, with health with better stuff, with the deepest desires of your heart financially. That's what we are taught in many cases. So give to Him. Or rather, they would say, drop some money in the offering plate. Call this number, make a donation. Go online, whatever. You've heard all that, haven't you? You've wanted it to be true. It'd be nice. So all i got to do is listen to this guy on television who's crying on this hanky. He's going to put it in the mail for me when I send him $100. And this hanky is going to come to me, and then I'm going to plant it in the backyard, and a money tree is going to sprout up. All right, where do I sign up? That's sort of the way that it's taught to us. Or maybe it's more subtle that you've been taught, look, if you give toward the Lord, then then He will absolutely come through for you in every single situation just the way you think He will. You've heard it. You've wanted it to be true, and some of us still believe it. It stems from the thought that that those who are wealthy are obviously blessed by God, that they've done something right. And so because of their obvious righteousness, God has blessed them financially. And the flip side is that, well, those who are poor obviously don't have the favor of God on their lives. They've done something to deserve their poverty. Now, let me just tell you, that's an American idea, not a biblical idea. I love America, but I love God more. We got to make sure that we follow what he says and not just the pattern of our own capitalism. Understand that. God never says that wealth in and of itself is wrong. Don't don't get me wrong there. In fact, we need wealthy Christians (laughs) to give toward God's work. 
Because some of us can't give as much as those folks. But understand that wealth is not necessarily a sign of God's favor. In fact, as some of you well know, those times when you have a little bit more, it can cause some problems, can it? But in fairness to the Scripture, the Old Testament does make mention on many occasions of God blessing people financially as a result of their obedience to Him. In fact, the nation of Israel was told, look, if you will do what I tell you to do, God says, then I'll bless you. And in that context, that certainly did mean with land and with some prosperity and so on. But we have to understand the context of that was not so that Israel would just sit and soak it all up and, oh, isn't this great? It was so they would be attractive to other nations and they would understand that God has given them this and they were then to be an extension, a funnel of God's grace to other people. The New Testament sort of reinterprets that a little bit for us and talks less about material gain coming back and much more about spiritual gain and growth coming back. And even when God blessed people in the New Testament, even when we see that, it was always for another purpose. It was never to stop with them. And again, sometimes our country tells us that material gain is simply there for you to enjoy. Soak it up. Enjoy it. It stops with you. And the Bible tells us something completely different. There's always a greater purpose for being enriched. In fact, there's a different kind of enrichment. Paul talks about it in verse 8. Look at this again. God is able to make every grace overflow to you. Realize God is unlimited. Every grace, whatever it is, different, different manifestations, different kinds of grace that can come to you, whether, whether that is the grace of salvation, whether that's the grace of meeting needs. Paul talks about the grace of participating in his work, whatever it is. There are many of us here today who are reluctant to, un, to, to take our hands, if you will, off of our stuff, to, to obey God with our money because we don't believe that God is unlimited. Now, I struggle with that too. I'm going to be honest with you. We have a scarcity mentality. That means at some point it's going to run out, whatever it might be. And the more I give away, the less I have, and the better chance it is that it ain't coming back and it's going to run, it's going to run out. You know, when you go to the Scripture, though, and we, we talk about in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know, that's not just a statement that God owns it all and we don't. That's also a statement that God owns it all and he can take care of you. God owns it all, and the Bible tells us he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I've heard it said, and he owns the hills too. <laughs> he really is unlimited in what he can do. Why on earth as Christians, we should have a scarcity mentality, a hoarding mentality when we serve an unlimited God who owns it all in the first place. Why we have that mentality is baffling, isn't it? But we do. We struggle with this, don't we? Well, I don't don't know. I don't know if God can come through in this situation. This one's a tough one. God is unlimited. And our generosity reveals what we believe about God. It's a window to our heart, a window to our faith. Verse 8 goes on. It says, He's able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need. don't, Don't miss that part. There's something about generosity that opens the door for God to continue to meet our needs. You know, in Philippians 4.19, it said, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Some of you know that verse. You know what Paul was talking about right before then? 
the generosity of the Philippians. He says, in response to your generosity, you can be assured that God will be in the business of meeting your needs. And, and I, I, it carries the implication that those who are generous will see God provide for them. And to some degree, those who aren't, you're on your own. Now, I don't say that because we need more money. I'm just saying that that's, there's a, the key to unlocking some of that stuff in your life is generosity. So uh, Paul then, then breaks a little bit, though, in, in the end of verse 8 with those who would say that, that uh, God will provide all your needs just because. He says, so that, look at the end of verse 8, you may excel in every good work. Why does God enrich us? So that we can be more generous. So that we can excel in all the work that he's given us. God will enrich you so that you may excel in every good work. It's revolutionary to begin to think that maybe what God has given me to meet my needs and even beyond is not just for my consumption. Hmm. What if he gave me this in order to be generous towards somebody who doesn't have it? In order to be generous toward the work of God, what if? Verses 9 and 10 go on. As it is written, he scattered, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Just as God provides seed for the sower, some of your farmers, and it's a miracle every year. You plant the seed, you put it right there, you fertilize it, you make sure everything's exactly right, you've taken care of the soil and all that, you pray for the right amount of rain and the sunlight, and something happens underground. You weren't down there making it happen. You couldn't manipulate those seeds, each one of those, and okay, it's time to grow. God did that. It's a miracle every time. And he says, just as, as God provides the, the seed to produce the wheat that produces the bread, just as amazing as that is, God does something amazing. When you begin to give generously, he multiplies, he grows righteousness in and through you. This is a great secret that there is in, there's spiritual enrichment that comes with generosity. Verse 11, the first part, Paul again drives home the point. You will be enriched in every way for what? Wait for it here. For all generosity. And it's interesting. I began to study all of this stuff and I thought, huh, we've been missing it. We're enriched not so we can just enjoy life more and just sit around and boy, isn't this great? Nothing wrong with enjoying life. Don't get me wrong. But we're enriched for all generosity so that we can be more generous. So this is about spiritual growth, increasing your own righteousness through seeing what God does by your generous giving. You'll be enriched, Paul says, but you'll be enriched so that you can be more generous and you can be more like Christ. Second part of incredible spiritual growth that happens from generous giving is thanksgiving. Paul mentions this word as well. The end of verse 11. You'll be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God. God meets your needs so that you can, can give generously. And then it produces thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service, this giving, is not only supplying the needs of saints, certainly it's doing that, 
but it's also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. What happens, Paul says, is that when you give, you begin to thank God for the opportunity for that, what he's blessed you with in order to provide for somebody else's needs, to finance God's work around the world. And the people who are on the receiving end give thanksgiving to God as well because they recognize that it was God who prompted you in the first place to give toward that. And all the thanks is given to God where it belongs. And so you should say thanks to somebody when they give towards something that maybe helps you. We have folks like that in our lives. Our parents occasionally, maybe your parents and grandparents, you just send your kids some money every once in a while. If they live in town, you maybe buy them lunch a lot. And every Sunday, that's sort of now the expectation. You did that one Sunday and now for 10 years. They've been eating you know, your food every Sunday. I don't know how that works. But if you've been able to work that deal, uh, then then keep it going. Don't let them. Don't let them know. But you know what Paul is saying, though. This isn't about just thanking those people who have the money to provide. Certainly, that's the case. But ultimately, we look to God and we say, "Thank you, Lord, for providing money for these people who then provided it for this particular need, this particular mission." This isn't about the poor. Or those who have their needs met now by this giving. This isn't about them being indebted to the rich, owing them something. It's just about God meeting needs and God doing ministry through the incredible and generous giving of those who have opportunity to give. Verse 13, Paul goes on, They will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others through the proof provided by this service. Paul says here, they, those who receive the gift, they'll glorify God, not you. They're going to glorify God. Let me tell you, if you're giving so that you can be thanked, stop giving. You're doing it for the wrong reason. Stop. Not pleasing God. It's not helping you. It's not helping anybody. Stop. They will glorify God, not you, for your obedience, which is really what it is, to the confession of the gospel of Christ. What he's saying there is this is simply an extension of who you are in Jesus Christ. You are a generous person. You've been changed by him. It's just evidence of your faith in him. And he says, for your generosity. I mean, how could we not be generous when we understand the generosity of Jesus toward us? It's just like the song. I'd give it all to Jesus for what he's done for me. I mean, I would leverage everything I possibly can toward the cause of Christ because of what he's done for me. Paul says that's the idea. He says in sharing with them and with others, meeting practical needs, furthering the mission and the work of God through the proof provided by this service. He says it's just faith in action. This is all about spiritual growth. And this focus becomes thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and praise, not to people, but to God. That's the second aspect of of what happens when we give generously. It kind of becomes a chain reaction. I'll never forget one of the most incredible uh, things I've I've ever been a part of on the receiving end of giving. When we moved to Georgia from Louisville back in 2007, we, we had two children at the time, and Nancy was pregnant with Nora. And I was talking with some of the fellas, talking with Larry and some other guys in uh, Sunday school this morning, and we were talking about that when we moved here, Nora was about 11 months old. She's now seven, and so, uh, so a lot of the change has happened. But back then, she wasn't even here yet. She was in the womb, and we moved to Georgia, and, and I was on staff at a church that 
was was full of, of very good people uh, and people who had lots of resources. It was a, a very different experience for us, to be honest. I grew up in a part of Louisville. Some of you think Louisville, you think big city and lots of money. I grew up on the other side of the tracks in Louisville, all right? So I grew up in the south end of Louisville. We're just a bunch of, and I can say it, blue-collar rednecks. That's who we were, all right? And I'm proud of it. But we didn't have a ton of money there. We we just, you know, it, we, that we weren't used to that sort of thing. And so I, I, I was preaching there on a Sunday morning, and we were doing this series called Urban Legends. And we were talking about these different myths that people believe are in the Bible, but they're not really in the Bible. You know, sort of that idea of an urban legend, this story that's not really true, but it sounds good. And, and so we were divvying up who was going to preach on these different topics. And the one that I volunteered for and sort of fell to me was the myth that God doesn't want my money. He only wants my heart. So the very first sermon that I preached in front of all these people that I had never met before was about their money. And so I was nervous, obviously. I wasn't sure if they'd listen to me or shoot me in the back. I had no idea what they would do. But, but I began to talk to them about just the biblical, the balanced biblical view on money, about earning it, about, about saving it, about investing it, about giving it. And I talked about God's faithfulness to meet the needs of those who are generous givers. And I wasn't drawing any attention to our financial situation. Nancy and I have tried to be as obedient and faithful as we can in giving what we believe God has told us to give. And so from the beginning of our marriage, that's what we did. And we began to do that each pay period. And and I just talked about the fact that I've seen in my own personal life, God be faithful to meet needs. And as I reflect on different things, I started talking about this truck that I had. And it was a 1995 Ford Ranger. And I had driven it for seven or eight years at the time, and and I had never had a major problem with it. Never. And at the time, it was getting older, and I sort of expected, and you know how you do is is the miles start, you know, I was telling somebody earlier, it's not the years, it's the mileage, you know, you know how that feels physically, right? And so, so you know, I just began to say to the the honest, I said, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe God's provision at least in part, has been what hasn't gone wrong here with this particular vehicle. And I was in no way making any kind of point whatsoever. I was just saying, look, this is how I've seen God be faithful. Well, I get done preaching. Nobody shot me in the back, so I survived. And I walked off the stage, and, and this family meets us right after church, and they say, you got two little kids, right? Yeah. Another one on the way, right? Yeah. Can't fit those kids in that truck, can you? Well, no, probably not. We had a van. They said, would you like another van? I said, boy, that'd be, yeah, that'd be great. At some point, we're going to try to maybe look into getting some other means of transportation where I can drive them around. You know what I'm talking about. And they said, well, we'd love to give you one. And like I said, I thought I was going to get shot in the back. What I wind up with at the end of the sermon is a free van. I had no idea this was coming. And they said, they said, look, we, you know, we understand we've been there. We have this van we're about to trade. And as you were preaching this morning, we just began to really feel the Holy Spirit say, you know what? Don't, don't trade that, but don't use it for your own personal gain. Give it to somebody who might have need. Well, again, I wasn't even trying to draw attention. I was trying to praise God for, hey, taking care of my truck. I was ready to drive. I'd still be driving it today. But what happened? I talk about this chain reaction. They gave us that van. And what that allowed us to do was so incredible. I got to be then on the giving end 
There were two young boys, twin boys in our church at the time. They had just turned 16 in a family of five children. There was no way they could afford a vehicle, and they both needed jobs. They both needed a way to go back and forth. Guess what they got? They got the truck. I say that not for any crowd. I just want to give you an example of what God does when somebody, one person, that family began to say, you know what, how can we give generously? It just so happened we were the recipients. And so it was on our heart. It was sort of that chain reaction. That's what God does. Thanksgiving to God. We, you know, we said thanks to that family, but we praised God that he met a need that we weren't even expecting. We weren't even praying for that. And we got to be a part of that chain reaction. A third aspect of spiritual growth that comes from generous giving is unity. Verse 14 wraps it up for us. Paul says, they, the recipients of this gift, will have deep affection for you and their prayers on your behalf because of the surpassing grace of God in you. They will have deep affection, he says. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. When you understand Paul is writing to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to give toward Jewish Christians who did not like the Gentiles... They thought they were not the right race. In fact, they thought that only the Jews were the ones that God loved. And he's saying, these folks will have deep affection for you. It's radical. It's a game changer. Paul says, when you begin to get in touch with the heart of God and you give generously toward people, there comes a unity in the body of Christ that cannot be gained elsewhere. Gentiles giving toward Jews. The distance here, the miles, the culture barriers were all broken down because of their relationship with Christ, their common relationship with Christ, and their common giving toward one another. They began to live in partnership. And a bond grows between them that it didn't matter where they were from. It didn't matter what race they were. Do you realize that's God's design for the church? Paul would write later on that it doesn't matter if you're a Greek or if you're a Jew, if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter who you are. We are all one in Christ. That's what's possible, Paul says. Nobody viewed as superior. Nobody viewed as inferior. All of us working in unity. And in the ancient world, a gift was a sign of friendship, a sign of affection, a sign of love. Paul says that's what you're doing is to help promote unity in the body of Christ. And let me just tell you, you know this Annie Armstrong Easter offering, you've got the little flyer. Odds are you'll never meet anybody. Odds are you'll never meet anybody who received the money directly that you put in the offering plate toward that offering. Odds are. You may meet somebody one day and... They've benefited from the Annie Armstrong offering and they planted a church somewhere and were supported by the North American Mission Board. But you know what happens when we begin to give toward things like that? When we begin to give toward the ministry of this church in our community, there becomes a unity among us and one of, of unity among the body of Christ around the world. In closing this entire series, I, I, I want to give us from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 what really I think is... is is Paul's point. And I'm stealing a little bit here, I'll be honest with you. There's a guy named Jim Elliott. Some of you know who Jim Elliott was. He was a missionary to Central and South America and was martyred by the people he was sent to reach. And he was a young man. He was in his 20s when it happened, and his journals are just full from time when he was in college 
full of his spiritual growth and his journey. And one of the things that he said and his quote that he's most known for is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And when Paul talks about generous giving, he's talking about the things we can't keep anyway. And he's talking about giving those toward the things that can never be lost. And so if there's one point in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 that I hope will resonate with you, it's what I believe Paul is really saying, sort of in the words of Jim Elliott, if you will, as a summary. Let me encourage you to give what you cannot keep toward what you cannot lose. You can't keep your stuff. One of these days, all the baseball cards, Mark was over at the house the other day, we were talking about this. I showed him all the baseball cards I've got up in a cabinet in in the laundry room. One of these days, all that stuff is going to be meaningless, even the ones that I think are valuable. All the stuff, all our money, it's useless when you die. It's useless. It does you no good. It'll gain you nothing after you're gone. We know that. And so what if we decided to give it now? I mean, everything that we possibly can. What if we decided to give it now since we can't keep it anyway? What if we decided to give what we can't keep toward what can never be lost? Toward what is eternal? You think of the things that are eternal. God is eternal. His word is eternal. And people are eternal. That's basically it. What if we decided, I'm not going to just keep it all, because I'm going to lose it anyway. What if I give as much as I possibly can toward the things that are eternal, toward God and what He's doing, toward the spreading of His work, and toward people who need to meet Jesus? What if I gave toward those things? Randy Alcorn wrote a couple of books. I'd encourage you to pick those up if you get the opportunity. I can loan you a copy if you'd like it. There's some books that he wrote. One is called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. A great book. Another is called The Treasure Principle. And another is called The Law of Rewards. And here are a couple of quotes. He says, When you leave this world, will you be known as one who accumulated treasures on earth that you couldn't keep? Or will you be recognized as one who invested treasures in heaven that you couldn't lose? When all that I ever own lies abandoned, broken, useless, and forgotten, what will I have done with my life and my money that will last for all eternity? Some sobering questions. He asked the question also, is it time to redirect your treasure? Away from what will obviously be lost to what can never be lost. This morning, I simply want you to have a conversation with God. And I mean that. I I don't expect you to do any specific thing this morning in response other than what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. You need to listen to Him. Have a conversation with God this morning. Start with your life. Have you given what you cannot keep? You will one day leave this earth. And all the things that you've thought are so wonderful will not go with you except what is eternal. That begins with your soul. Have you trusted the Lord? Have you trusted Jesus with your life? Have you given that to Him? And if you haven't, start there. Because no amount of money that you can give can buy your soul. There's no amount of money that you can give that can pay for your sin. I don't care if you are a billionaire. God owns it all. He's not impressed. 
And in fact, he said, I don't want your money anyway. No amount of money can buy back your sinful life that stands under the wrath of God. Only Jesus can do that. And guess what? He did. (laughs) The bad news is you can't do it. The good news is you don't have to. (laughs) Because he did it. It's time to recognize your need for him, to confess your sin, to repent from it, and to believe in him with your whole heart. Believe in him as the Son of God, the one means of salvation. And then it's time to grow with him. And specifically in this series through generous giving, give what you cannot keep toward what you can never lose. Relocate. Your treasure toward the things of God, toward spreading His Word, toward seeing lost people come to know Jesus. And then, you'll begin to understand the heart of God. And He'll begin to shape you even more into the image of His Son, Jesus. Have a conversation this morning as we we sing Amazing Grace in just a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit, how is it that I need to respond this morning? Do I, maybe you recognize I've never given my life to Jesus. I'm playing the game. I play along pretty good. I act pretty good sometimes. But I've never given my life. I've never repented of my sin. I've never confessed it. I've never believed in Jesus and thrown myself at Him. Do that this morning. Just to pray simply, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need you to take over my life. I need a new life in you. Believe in you for salvation. Give your life to Him. And then, maybe there's something else God wants you to do. Maybe it's generous giving, that He's got something in mind for you. Be open to it this week. Let's pray together. Don't miss the conversation with God. Don't don't miss what His Holy Spirit is saying to you because we're close to leaving. Listen. What's He speaking to you this morning? Let me tell you, if it's evident to you this morning and you know that you have never given your life to Jesus, there is no guarantee of tomorrow. There is no guarantee of this afternoon. There is no guarantee of another chance for that. I beg you, as Paul said in the Scripture, be reconciled to God. Be made right with God through Jesus Christ this morning. Don't count on your goodness or even on your giving. Only Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit is stirring your heart to give very generously towards some specific need, a person, a ministry to increase your giving even toward the ministry of this church, whatever it may be this morning, be obedient to Him. It unlocks incredible spiritual growth. Do it. Not out of obligation, but because the Holy Spirit has prompted you. God, help us. I pray for those this morning that that need to give their lives to you, whomever that may be. For those, Lord, who need to respond in obedience, generosity, help us to do that. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your teaching that we find in the scripture. Thank you, Lord, for for teaching us to give so that we can experience incredible growth with you. Enrich us, Lord, we pray for greater generosity, 
and so that we'll be like Jesus. We'll give you thanks. We know it'll draw us closer together. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.